Hello, and welcome to the Mark Price episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 25. My name is Logan Wortman, and today I'd like to just talk about my post-trade deadline thoughts around the NBA, uh, because I have a lot of them. So obviously the biggest story from the deadline is uh, the Kevin Durant trade to Phoenix, and yeah, I'll get to that later. To start off here, I'd like to first get into what I thought was really weird about this trade deadline in comparison to the past several that I've paid really close attention to. And that would be, number one, I noticed that there were a odd amount of homecomings this trade deadline, like so many players getting traded to teams they've already been on before. All the ones I could count, just looking through it, I have Jakob Pertl returning to the um, Toronto Raptors from the San Antonio Spurs. Um, if you remember, he was in the Kawhi deal originally. Him and DeMar DeRozan got traded over to San Antonio in exchange for Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, a trade that's going to go down in history as one of the best trades of all time because it directly won the Raptors the championship that year. But yeah, now they're bringing Jakob Pertl back in exchange for Kem Birch and a protected first and I think two seconds as well. Draft picks is what I mean by that when I just say numbers, you know, first or second. There's a lot of picks in trades, so I don't want to have to say draft pick after every time I say a first or second. Then other homecomings, we have George Hill going back to the Pacers, where he spent the majority of the beginning of his career. John Wall got traded to the Houston Rockets after not even being a full season away from them now. Um, And he, you know, quite notably did not enjoy his time in Houston, a part of that post-Harden Rockets team. And then there's Spencer Dinwiddie going back to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, from the Dallas Mavericks in that Kyrie trade, which was a little bit before the deadline, but I'm still throwing it in here. And then there's D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers, where he was you know, pretty infamously traded away from early on in his career. Uh, but now he's back with a whole new team entirely, though, I, I want to add. So I don't think there's any carryover from that, that previous roster because that was quite a few years ago now. And then there's also Justin Jackson uh, going back to the Thunder in exchange for Mike Muscala in two seconds, going to the Celtics. Gary Payton the second. This one almost didn't happen, but uh, as I'm recording this on Monday, February 13th, uh, just yesterday we heard the news that uh, the Warriors were going to let the deal go through after Gary Payton the second failed his physical. That you know is is protocol when you're bringing players into a new organization, but the Warriors decided to waive the physical and. Uh, let the trade go through anyways. But yeah, that's not super great news on the Warriors side of things. The fact that he may be out for up to like two to three months um, with, I forget what the the injury was now. I don't think I wrote it down anywhere. But you know, just timeline wise, that puts you around the playoffs, um, maybe even missing like an entire round of the playoffs, uh, something like that. So that'll be a pretty interesting factor to keep in mind. And there's Eric Gordon, who is in that same trade as John Wall, uh, getting traded for each other. Eric Gordon going to the Los Angeles Clippers, which is where he um, started his career 
I, I want to say, right? Yeah, he was in he was in LA with the Clippers before he was in New Orleans. I'm pretty sure. That might be backwards. I might have that backwards now that I'm thinking about it. No, yep, yeah, he started with the Clippers. He played his first three years there. Averaged 22 points his last season with the Clippers. And then got traded to the New Orleans Hornets. where he, That's where he became extremely injury prone while in New Orleans. Because he was, he was looking like you know the next budding star in the NBA for a young player. Uh, and then, yeah, injuries derailed his career in New Orleans. Ended up going to Houston to be like, you know, one of their better players, but not one of their star players. Um, just more of like a a pretty high level starter. And he's been in Houston ever since then, ever since 2016, 17. So now he's going back to the Clippers, though, 15 years later after he got drafted there. And, you know, it was no surprise seeing him get moved from the Rockets uh, because there was that that interview or quote of his that was circulating the internet not too long ago where I, I believe the question was, you know, a reporter asked him, uh, what improvements have you seen from this this young Rockets team this season? And he basically just said, none. Like, I see no improvements. He said it very, you know, terse and uh, with somewhat of an attitude. So, uh, it, you know, that was just basically writing on the walls of him getting moved eventually. Also, if you guys remember any of my stuff preseason when I talked about the Rockets, I, I said I was pretty confident that Eric Gordon was not going to be with Houston this entire season. You know, he was going to be moved at some point to a team where he can contribute. So we did end up seeing that happen. Um, and then there's TJ Warren, who was in that Kevin Durant deal um, with KD going to the Phoenix Suns from the Nets. And so, you know, this is another homecoming, him going to the team that drafted him in the Phoenix Suns. Uh, and then the last one I have written down here is Bruno Fernando going from the Rockets to the Hawks, which I want to say is where he got drafted as well. Uh, Fernando's been on a few teams now, but pretty sure he started with the Hawks. But yeah, that's all of the guys, though, that have had homecomings this year. And that's just very um, unusual to have that many. Like, that doesn't usually happen, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, I feel like most years you could probably maybe get like one or two. I don't even know what the average would be. But it's definitely not this many. This is one, two, three, four, five, ten. I have ten written down, and I don't even know if I got all of them. And we might see another one with Patrick Beverly being a buyout guy, you know, maybe getting his contract bought out with the Orlando Magic, which is where he just got traded this deadline, um, and then him maybe going back to the Minnesota Timberwolves, where he was just last season, because they're definitely a team that could use a Patrick Beverly. And, you know, another funny thing with Patrick Beverly, last deadline when he did, I think that was last deadline. No, that, I think that was actually in the offseason now that I'm thinking about it, when he got traded from wherever he was right before the Grizzlies, which was, I think, the Clippers, but I there might have been a step in between those. I feel like it was the Clippers. Yeah, it was the Clippers. Okay, so... And the offseason between the 21 and 22 seasons, he got traded to Memphis and then tweeted out, you know, grit and grind Grizzlies, which is, you know, like their catchphrase there in Memphis. And then right after that, he got moved again. The Grizzlies actually flipped him in a deal to the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, a little bit of bad luck, bad timing on his tweet there. But then the really funny thing is it happening again, this deadline 
where he got traded from the Lakers to the Magic. But before he got traded, that deal from Minnesota to the Lakers happened where D'Angelo Russell uh, was shipped to L.A. And so he posted a picture on Twitter of him and D'Angelo Russell together in Timberwolves uniforms and, you know, said something like getting the band back together or reunited or, you know, something like that. And then right after that, he gets traded to Orlando. So you really couldn't script that better, honestly. It's just that's just a funny little detail of the trade deadline. But yeah, then the other funny thing about this trade deadline, though, besides the homecomings, was the second round picks that were being traded. Uh, like I've I texted um, my friends Jacob and Anthony, who many of you probably have heard guest appearing on this podcast. But I texted to them during the day on Thursday, uh, which was the deadline. And, you know, I said something like, I've never seen so many trades structured around second round picks in my life. Like they were just throwing them around everywhere. People were comparing them to Bitcoin quite a bit. Like they were so worthless that they just keep getting moved in mass, which I don't know. I like I can't. It makes sense how they were being moved this year. I guess it's just more weird how wide all of a sudden is you know that happening because in recent years like second round picks you just don't see them moved very often and this year it was like okay there's little small things like you know small rotation pieces that are on some teams that definitely don't need them you know like jay crowder on the nets the nets aren't like dying to keep jay crowder and so then the bucks are like you know we don't really have much to go get a jay crowder for but we really want a jay crowder so you know, why don't we just trade you every single second round pick that we have <laughs> um, in exchange for Jay Crowder? Would you do that? So that that was the first deal that I saw, at least, that had all of those, you know, second rounders in there. I think it was just straight up Jay Crowder in exchange for five second round picks. Um, but then after that, I, I it was like, you know, other GMs around the league were like, oh, wait, we can do this. You know, like we can use second round picks like this. And so then every other deal after that, just start including second round picks, you know, which a lot of people are saying they're completely worthless, like I was just mentioning before. But I don't know. I don't view them as worthless for sure, because um, I, I've learned firsthand what a second round pick can get you with Nikola Jokic. But obviously that's not the um, what, you know, your expectancy is with the second round pick. I guess what I'm trying to say is five second round picks definitely isn't nothing, especially when they can be used as cannon fodder or whatever you want to call it, uh, where if you don't have anything, you can just stuff a deal full of second round picks and actually get something that you want back. So, you know, they do have a little bit of value there. But yeah, that was just funny seeing all of that um, happening. But yeah, let's start going through some of this actual, you know, basketball moves. I think I'm going to start here with the Nuggets just because that was... I guess it's kind of like the starting point for a lot of thoughts that I do have, obviously because I'm so centered around Denver Nuggets as that being my favorite team. So, yeah, I was pretty disappointed at the Nuggets deadline this year. Coming up to the trade deadline, we all knew that, and we all, I mean by like Nuggets fans, I guess, everybody knew that Bones Highland was going to be traded. It was just a matter of where and for what. Which, you know, he's been a really fun energetic player for the Nuggets you know he's he served a pretty important role I think I I um, undersold his role on our team last podcast when I talked about it 
like there's definitely value he brought as a scorer, as a ball handler off the bench, and you know, a guy that's kind of Jamal Murray insurance as well. You know, so that those are things we definitely did lose by getting rid of Bones Highland. And that's why I was just so disappointed in seeing the return that we did actually get for him was just two second round picks. When, you know, he's a young, exciting player that like everyone around the league seems to love, at least in terms of fans and people who talk about basketball. I, I guess I'm not sure what his value is around the league in terms of front office people. It seems like not very much if this is the return that we got. You know, I was really hoping for a Bones for Caruso or Io Desunmu, you know, one of those, even Jalen Noel, some moves like that. But honestly, what I deep down really wanted to happen was just any of our former Nuggets that are, you know, sitting there around the league. Um, I really wanted to add one of those just because I feel like there's some unthought about value in getting a guy, bringing him in that just can fit and mesh super well right into the culture, right into like the dynamics of the team because he's been, you know, a big part of this team just very recently. Like Amante Morris was the number one guy on my list who I really wanted the Nuggets to just trade bones for. Go get Monte Morris to come be more of a steady, smart, you know, savvy veteran point guard in that role instead of what Bones was for us, which was a bit of a wild card. So I wanted to see that happen. I was even okay with like a Will Barton trade instead. Um, I don't think that would work money-wise. But speaking of him, though, he is a name on the buyout market that I was thinking maybe we could get there. But I'm not sure anymore at this point after we got Reggie Jackson, it looks like, who we're bringing in, which definitely does help. You know, like it's that's brightened my mood. After the the Highland stuff, you know, after Bones got traded and what I saw the return was, I was pretty upset about it for the next few days until the news came out of we were going to pick up Reggie Jackson in the buyout market. And that that definitely helps, you know, that eases my mind a little bit because he comes in and makes up for uh, at least a good amount of what we lost with Bones as a ball handler off the bench, you know, so. But yeah, I, I honestly would have liked to see Will Barton be that instead, to be honest, just because, you know, of his familiarity with the team and what I know he can do in a Nuggets uniform, I guess. I know a lot of Nuggets fans weren't the biggest of Will Barton fans, but I'd say I'm definitely more on the side of I like Will Barton than most. And he, he basically was just going to be a more consistent, more like an older version of what Bones was but probably not as high of highs, you know, Bones could probably get you a bit higher highs on the right night. Will Barton, though, is, you know, another one of those kind of crazy wild card guys, just been in the league a lot longer. But I also would have really enjoyed seeing Gary Harris or even Mason Plumley as, you know, a backup center before the Thomas Bryant deal happened, which was the other deal that happened this deadline, uh, which will wrap up all the things that did happen for the Nuggets. Before the Bones deal on Thursday, we did trade three second round picks and Davon Reed in exchange for Thomas Bryant from the Los Angeles Lakers and formerly of the Washington Wizards. You know, he's a really good offensive center. He can shoot a bit, really good at, at scoring, you know, on the inside, has a lot of post moves, um, nice touch around the rim, good roller also, gets a lot of dunks. Defensively, he's very poor, though. Um, for some reason, honestly, I, I feel like he's just athletically and size wise, you know, he's 6'10 with a 7'6 wingspan. 
and he has some ups. You know, I, I feel like he should be at least some semblance of a rim protector, but the numbers paint him as not one at all. So, you know, I'd be interested to see what happens there if he can develop at all in that area of his game. But even if he doesn't, you know, I, I understand the trade. And, you know, what's funny about it is um, this and the Reggie Jackson thing in 2K before when I've when I've played my GM with the Nuggets and I try to rebuild the Nuggets or, you know, just play GM, two guys that I've brought in a number of times into the Nuggets and guys that I've been uh, that I've looked at in the game and thought, you know, they would fit here. They're a good guy to add to be on our bench. And both of them are Thomas Bryant and Reggie Jackson. But now in in real life, we're getting them. So, but yeah. So all in all, we gave up Bones, Davon Reed, and three second round picks, um, and we added Thomas Bryant and two second round picks. I'm not a big fan of that exchange. I'm a lot higher on Davon Reed also than most people are, and I think that he's going to be like the Lakers definitely got better with not just the Davon Reed trade, but like they made a lot of moves that got guys that they need on their team. You know. Um, and Davon Reed is, is one of them for sure. But adding in the wrinkle of adding Reggie Jackson, is that's a bit of an equalizer, I feel like, for this trade deadline. I think we might be, you know, a decent amount better now than we were before the deadline, which is the goal. The reason I didn't like the deadline originally is because I don't I didn't feel like we really improved very much. And it felt like a lot of other teams in the West did. <laughs> so I wasn't a big fan of that. You know, I, d- I didn't necessarily think that we weren't the favorite anymore or at least the top two in the west but i definitely didn't like how you know after the deadline teams were closer to us than they were before i didn't like that feeling of it and does this reggie jackson move change everything about that no not at all but it definitely helps um you know it definitely helps that so yeah that kind of brings me into all the other teams in the west that improved um or did not improve you know i'll go through them and give my opinion on it. Uh, the Lakers, I'll bring them up just since I already did kind of mention them. You know, they added D'Angelo Russell, Mo Bamba, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Davon Reed, and three second-round picks. Um, and what they gave up was Thomas Bryant, Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, their 2027 first-round pick, and uh, a second-round pick. So... Yeah, definitely an improvement. I don't think so. Yeah, here's my here's my whole thoughts on the Lakers. I think this was a pretty complicated one that I've gone up and down on since the deadline. You know, seeing different sides of it and everything. Overall, I feel like they could have had a better deadline. Like this isn't the best thing that they could have done, but they're definitely much better of a team than they were before the deadline. Um, and now. Really, the key, I think it rides a lot on Anthony Davis, um, whether or not he's going to be healthy and playing like Anthony Davis should play the rest of the season. Because since he's come back from injury, he's looked rather shaky, you know. So if he gets back to what he was before the injury this season at all, I'd, I'd be surprised if that team doesn't make the playoffs or at least the play-in, you know, because anything could happen in the play-in. You know, it was a big move to get off of Russell Westbrook. So I think, you know, you added a little bit of value just with that, um, just in terms of fit. I mean, and, you know, Russell, um, I almost said Russell Wilson. Wow. Um, D'Angelo Russell. There's too many Russells in this 
in my brain, but D'Angelo Russell, he's not like a perfect fit next to LeBron and AD, but at least there's the shooting and being a guy who can play off ball. Those two things are vast improvements on what they had with Russell Westbrook. So yeah, that that's just a huge win there. But also I'm not, I don't know, I'm not a huge D'Lo guy. I think he hurts your team in a lot of ways, even though on paper he just seems like a really good player. And honestly, in that in that deal that they got him in, which was the Lakers got Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell, and Malik Beasley. Utah got Russell Westbrook, first-round pick, uh, that, t- that 2027 Lakers pick. And then the Timberwolves got uh, Mike Conley and a second-rounder. I don't understand the Wolves needing to be in that, like from a Lakers perspective, I don't understand why the Wolves needed to be in that deal at all. You know, Utah didn't get anything from the Wolves. The only thing that the Wolves gave up was D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers. But if I'm a Lakers fan, and if I'm Rob Polinka, GM of the Lakers, I'd much rather have Mike Conley, uh, for you know, for my hopes this season, than D'Angelo Russell, with, like, without a doubt. Playing that same exact role, too. It's the same role that you're filling there with the, the point guard. So... I just don't get how why the Wolves even needed to be included, other than you're helping them out too. They're getting off of D'Angelo Russell, upgrading from D'Angelo Russell to Mike Conley. So just just in terms of looking at this deal, it doesn't like the deal doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, you know? Just looking at it, it's like, why would this even happen? Like just the math of it. It's like the Wolves are in it. All they're doing is upgrading. And they're upgrading in a way that like they're giving the Lakers the the less good thing when you know, all the ingredients in this in this trade could have just been, oh, not, like, it'd be like if I'm, I have a deal with another team, I'm trading them, you know, A, B, and C pieces for X, Y, and Z pieces, and another team looks at that and it's like, hey, that A piece in there, um, that would be a pretty good upgrade from my Q piece or whatever. Like, I, I, I feel like we'd rather have that than, than the Q. So how about let's get in this deal see if we can pull that a out of there and for our Q and not add any draft capital or anything into the deal at all. Looking at the trade, it's obvious that the, the parties involved viewed D'Angelo Russell as the better player because the wolves were able to come away with Conley and the second rounder when they only gave up D'Lo, which that just surprises me that that's the view of these players from, from these front office members. Maybe they know something that I don't, I guess. Like, that's very possible because they are in the positions that they are, and I'm just talking to nobody into a microphone. But in, in my opinion, it's not even a debate on who I would rather have as the point guard on my team, especially from the Lakers' point of view. Like, I feel like D'Angelo Russell is more valuable to the Wolves. Maybe not, now that I'm thinking about it, because fit thing. Yeah, okay, never mind. But st- still, my, my point stands with the Lakers, though, of, like, for this season, I'd much rather have Conley more than just in a vacuum, you know, in a vacuum comparing D'Lo and Conley, it's like, okay, D'Lo is younger, blah, blah, blah. But then like from the Lakers perspective, it's like you have an old team that's trying to win within the next year or so to maximize LeBron's old age. So like, let's get the best player, no matter how old he is. And that would be Mike Conley. Um, The reason why I backed off what I was saying with the Wolves though, was because I was starting to say, since the Wolves are younger, D'Lo might be worth a little bit more to them in comparison, but I backed off of that because like the reason why they made this deal, why they wanted Conley instead of D'Lo is because of Gobert. 
and how D'Angelo Russell has not been pairing with Gobert well at all. He's, you know, struggled with him, fought with him, not been able to feed him in pick and roll or get any entry passes to him. Like he's just not jived with him well on the court at all. And during Gobert's time in Utah, the guy that gelled and got along with Gobert probably the most out of anybody was Mike Conley. So that's the reason why they, they wanted to make this deal happen. But yeah, in my opinion, though, it's kind of like the Wolves shouldn't even be in this deal because they made such a great upgrade. They got the better player and a pick. Granted, it's just a second rounder, but still. Like, there's no way. If they if they were offered D'Lo, or if they were offered Conley for D'Lo straight up, there's no way the Wolves are saying no to that. You know, and they got they came away with a second round pick. So it's just it's just funny that they were able to finesse this deal after having a terrible summer, you know, with their deals with the Gobert trade last year. So I got a little bit of redemption there. And D'Angelo Russell has been shooting the cover off the ball recently. He's been hitting his shots really well the past like month and a half or so. Malik Beasley has not been shooting well over that same stretch, though. But theoretically, you know, he's a good shooter. He's a knockdown guy. Uh, he has been most stretches of his career. So it's huge that the Lakers added both those guys. I'm a big Jerry Vanderbilt fan, but I'm not a big fan of his fit with the Lakers. Like, he'll definitely play quite a bit and be an important player for them. But I feel like he would be much more important or, like, fit much better on a handful of other teams out there. So that's really, I guess, my only complaint with that. As a, you know, for the Lakers, though, is a good a good guy to add to be kind of like a Anthony Davis insurance He's uh, not going to be a guy that knocks down shots for you other than maybe a little bit in the corners. He was starting to shoot a little bit with the with Utah, but he'll probably just be a guy that plays some some power forward, some center minutes for you while AD's not in the game, most likely. It's not insane for them to both be on the court at the same time either If as long as the other guys on the court can shoot. And then they added Mo Bamba, like I said, who's going to be kind of what I was just talking about with uh, Jared Vanderbilt, but more of a traditional center, you know, big, tall, long, gets you some rim protection, but also he can stretch the floor a bit too and shoot. Definitely a like very great value version of Miles Turner, you know, the guy that I've been wanting the Lakers to get all season. I'm um, not really wanting, I guess, because I don't want the Lakers to be good, but I, as from like a team building standpoint, where I just I want to fix every roster I see, you know, that's a move that my brain kept going to. Um, and Bamba is a much worse version of what Miles Turner is, but he's still that mold of player. You know, provides rim protection and can theoretically stretch the floor. So they got that uh, at a way cheaper price too, which uh, is another plus. Um, and then Davon Reed, like I mentioned earlier, from the Nuggets, who he you know he's a pretty replaceable like three and D wing. He's not a big wing, but he's not a small wing either. Like he's kind of in between. He's like six five, but he's pretty long and um, sturdy as well so good defender uh, he can shoot a decent amount too he even like at least in second units sometimes he like he gets into a little bit of at the end of the clock sometimes like creating his own shot area which like from what I've seen of it like it turns out better usually than you think it would you know I'm always kind of expecting like I'm like why are you doing this right now but then he just sinks you know a mid-range jumper so, you know, I'm, I don't think that part of his game is really going to come into play a whole lot, but still just kind of, I guess, trying to describe him a little bit. We just had a lot of guys on the Nuggets that were either younger and, and needed more development that were what he was, like Christian Brown, or just, you know, better versions of what he does, like KCP, Bruce Brown kind of has been 
a little bit of that for us. But regardless, it's good for him, obviously, to get moved somewhere that needs him a little bit more. But I, I kind of liked him as just like a surefire, like a great guy to just, he doesn't have to be in the rotation, but whenever you need him, he's always there. I like those kinds of guys. I, I feel like it's what Jeff Green should be for us now too, once Malone finally takes him out of the rotation. But yeah, and then they added the three second round picks too. Um, also, they have Rui Hachimura. That happened a while ago now, but that's kind of it's somewhat recent. I didn't include it in the, the trade deadline deals on all my notes, but you know, that's still a pretty recent acquisition. So yeah, the threat, I guess, of the Lakers with the Nuggets, I don't think there's a huge one, but it's definitely closer. You know, they're closer in stature or closer in caliber than they were before the deadline. The Lakers definitely improved more than the Nuggets did, that's for sure. But yeah, I still wouldn't consider myself like scared of them. But I, I definitely don't think they're just a team that we're going to completely, without a doubt, roll through without any problem if we have to face up against them in like the first round of the playoffs. But yeah, so now I guess the next thing we could talk about is the Phoenix side of this with the Durant trade. But first, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll talk about that next. Hey, just want to take a quick break from this episode so I could tell you guys about how I just launched my new Patreon page. If you don't know about Patreon, it's a great way for people to support creators with a monthly subscription. Becoming a Patreon supporter can even come with a few perks, like early access to new episodes and getting special shoutouts on the podcast. I've recently started working part-time at my job so I can focus more time and energy on the podcast and YouTube channel. So any support would be massively appreciated, and it helps me towards my hope of making this my full-time job someday. So if you want to help support me in that, please head over to patreon.com slash hooptheory. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash hooptheory. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, welcome back. We are here to talk about Kevin Durant, uh, the trade from the Brooklyn Nets to the Phoenix Suns. So what Durant ended up getting moved for was uh, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Mikal Bridges, and four first-round picks, as well as a pick swap in 2028. So did I like this deal for the Suns? Uh, yes, I, I do. This basically gets them a lineup of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, uh, and then DeAndre Ayton at the five, and then I guess whatever fourth guy you want to throw in there, probably Torrey Craig, uh, maybe Terrence Ross, who they're just getting now in the buyout market, could be TJ Warren, who came over with KD in that trade, uh, which I just realized I think I forgot to mention uh, when I was giving you the details. But yeah, it really could be any combination of of those lineups um, or, you know, those guys in there with the other four. You know, whoever it ends up being, it's going to be a pretty uh, formidable group with lots of mid-range scoring uh, on the on the court. Uh, three of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA, and Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. And so a lot of people are saying that this move makes the Suns the favorite in the West over the Nuggets. And while I see their point, I don't know if I would go quite there yet. Honestly, I still, I still feel pretty good about my Denver Nuggets, about our chances. But I think I do feel most comfortable calling it like a pretty definitive top two in the West, uh, between the Nuggets and the Suns now with the Memphis Grizzlies sliding of late. And, you know, the Warriors, Steph still is struggling with injury and um, not too great of a record at this point. I think they're only a game over 500. 
So, you know, it's hard to consider them like a favorite right now. You know, those would be the other teams in the mix. But yeah, I think this definitely is the Nuggets and Suns conference to lose. But yeah, like I said, if you made me pick one out of these two, though, I, I would definitely go with my Nuggets. You know, just a deeper team. I think Jokic is the best player on the planet right now. If not him, it's probably Giannis. And I guess if not either of them, then it's probably between Luka, uh, Joel Embiid, and Kevin Durant. You know, that, that would definitely be the next three, in my opinion, before it drops off once again, maybe to Steph and Jason Tatum. I'm doing this off the, off the top of my head, so I apologize if I missed anybody obvious. But yeah, I guess I just really like what Jokic can give you, surrounded by you know a good team with with Aaron Gordon at his side, Jamal Murray coming into his own. You know he's missed the last couple games now with uh, just some day to day type injuries. But right before he went out, you know he's been having the best stretch of his uh, season so far. So and honestly, just kind of looking like he was uh, right before he tore that ACL back in April of 2020 or 2021. I think actually, yeah, 2021. It hasn't been quite three years <laughs> since then, um, just almost two. But yeah, honestly, the one thing I would worry about for the Nuggets is defense. But I don't know. I I, I really don't see in a playoff series between you know the Nuggets and the Suns. I don't see the Suns being able to guard the Nuggets. They literally just gave up their three best defensive players in this trade, and T.J. Warren, the guy that got back, is not really a defender. Terrence Ross is, you know, a mediocre 3 and D guy on the defensive half of that piece. Torrey Craig, pretty replaceable, I guess. You know, just no, they don't really have any defensive stoppers, you know, on that team other than Durant if he is in that zone, uh, that zone that he definitely can get to. But thinking of that, though, kind of reminds me of the Nets team without Kyrie and James Harden going against the Bucks in that second round series. I went to a game seven where KD had to do everything on both sides of the floor. And it ultimately wasn't enough to get over the hump. It literally just took like every single ounce of Kevin Durant's talent to make that a series, you know? So, but yeah, I think the Suns championship odds this season though, really is going to come down to whether or not Kevin Durant is healthy or not. Or I guess that that core in general of Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. So yeah, I take that back. I don't think it's going to come down to just Kevin Durant. It's going to come down to a number of things, really, with that core there. Whether or not they're going to be able to gel right away, which, you know, I, I don't think you, anybody should be super concerned with that. You know, it seems like they should be able to figure it out, given how talented all those guys are and how, how willing um, and capable both Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are at playing off the ball. And I think, honestly, most times in their career, they've been maximized as players while being more in an off-ball type of role. So, you know, if Chris Paul is able to carry that full point guard, primary ball handler type of role throughout the rest of the season and into the postseason, uh, then that's going to be a really big factor uh, for sure. And also it remains to be seen what Chris Paul is going to look like in like the closing games of a playoff series, you know, like uh, whether or not he's going to have another fluky injury or uh, just some unexplicable collapse, I guess, because the story of his career so far is every single time he gets there in the postseason, something bad happens. 
no matter what. And definitely at the start of the season, it was looking like that ship had maybe even sailed, that Chris Paul's age is finally starting to catch up with him. And he's just, you know, he's not going to be quite that same type of guy anymore. But that remains to be seen, I guess. Um, the other team I want to talk about was the Golden State Warriors. Talk about their trade deadline and what they look like as a contender in this Western Conference. Um, so basically what the Golden State Warriors gave up was only Wiseman, I think. It was much more complicated than that. But in effect, they gave up Wiseman and they got back Gary Payton II. So on paper, a very, very simple exchange, but it was not that at all. <laughs> um, I'll try to walk us through the steps here. If I can pick them out through my um, many notes that I have wrote down every single deal as it came out on Twitter. So that's not in any specific order other than chronological. So I think this first move that happened was the Warriors sent Wiseman to Detroit for Sadiq Bey. Uh, so that was the first move. And also, I think technically all of this was orchestrated as one move, but in terms of the reporting, you know, whoever whoever reported this, either Shams or Woj probably, but, you know, they got this one piece of information first. And as soon as they get that, you know, they have to fire off a tweet before the other guy. So it basically looks like, oh, this is a, a deal where the Warriors are sending Wiseman to Detroit for Sadiq Bay. when I don't know if that ever was an actual deal or if that was just, you know, one component of the deal because Sadiq Bay didn't actually go to Golden State. Um, he ended up going to Atlanta and Atlanta gave up five second round picks. So here are those second round picks coming into play again. Oh, and I believe Kevin Knox must have been in that also from the Hawks because all of a sudden when, you know, Woj and Shams are reporting the next thing that happens uh, with these teams, uh, Golden State just magically has Kevin Knox because <laughs> it says Golden State trades for Gary Payton II from Portland for five seconds and, and Kevin Knox. Um, so I'm guessing how they ended up with Kevin Knox to begin with is he must have been a part of that uh, package that Atlanta gave up. So they didn't just give up five seconds like the original report was. Kevin Knox was also included in that, which means that Portland and all of this basically wanted Kevin Knox in five seconds more than uh, they wanted James Wiseman, which is a pretty telling, you know, fall from grace, I guess, uh, after being the second round pick just a couple years ago, or not second round, the second overall pick in the draft a couple years ago. Oh, and I think just a little bit ago, I forgot to mention with Phoenix that they added Darius Baisley in exchange for uh, Dario Saric and a second round pick. So the Thunder shipped Darius Baisley to Phoenix in exchange for Dario Saric and a second. Um, so that adds another guy to Phoenix that could be that fifth starter. Probably not, though. I'd bet on some of the other guys over Darius Baisley, but hey, maybe if he has some sort of um, breakthrough in a new uniform. But back to Golden State, though, essentially what they did was trade Wiseman in exchange for Gary Payton II, but there were four teams involved in that simple transaction. But yeah, so I think Golden State did get better. You know, the big piece of this is whether or not Gary Payton II will be available and when he will be available is a big part of it, too. So, you know, they could have just lost Wiseman for nothing, which isn't a big deal, like for this season, I mean, because he wasn't going to be in the rotation come playoff time anyways, and he wasn't consistently in the rotation during the season. So not too big of a loss in terms of, you know, what he's given you this year. But there is something to be said about the 
potential asset, I guess, of um, of a guy like James Wiseman, who was highly touted enough to be picked second overall just like two seasons ago. But yeah, so I still see Golden State as probably the third best team in the West um, in terms of title odds. It's between them and Memphis probably for that third spot. And Memphis did get a little bit better here at the deadline, but at the same time, at this stretch of the season around the deadline, they're looking much worse. But a big part of that is Steven Adams uh, being out, being injured. So they're missing a pretty key piece to their offense, which if I'm a Memphis fan, though, then that definitely would worry me, you know, that being a factor, being a thing, because as we've seen many of the recent seasons with Steven Adams going to the playoffs, he tends to get played off the floor in playoff series because of just the the style matchups that they can throw out there with different lineups, the teams that are facing them, to basically make Steven Adams a liability, seeing that he's a pretty slow-footed traditional center. So teams go small, space out the floor, uh, go small and fast as well is the other key thing. And, you know, they just continue to attack Steven Adams in mismatches. So he becomes a hard guy to, to keep on the floor in playoff series recently. That's going to be a problem if he is like the key to their offense working, you know, with all of his ball screens that he sets and all the handoffs and, you know, all of that stuff that he does for you. If all of that is such a significant or necessary piece of this team, then what are you going to do when you can't play him in the playoffs? You know, so, you know, to answer my own question there a little bit, what they would have to do is just continue to play him, obviously, because he's the key to their offense working. But obviously it puts them in a precarious situation. Um, I don't even know what precarious means, to be honest. I'm just using context clues of how I hear people use it. I don't know if I've ever even said it before. Not securely held or in position, dangerously likely to fall or collapse. Okay. Yeah. A precarious situation. So basically uncertain, dependent on chance. Um, yeah, Stephen Adams. So, you know, that's, that's not good news, I guess. That's bad news bears, if you want to call it that. <laughs> uh, pun intended. Uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies. Forgot to mention what they added, though here at the deadline that was Luke Kennard from the Los Angeles Clippers in exchange for Danny Green and three second round picks so the second round picks are ridiculous like I mentioned before Um, and just because I was curious I went through and counted each one that I have written down here and I counted 55 so 55 total second round picks were moved at this deadline if my count was correct which yeah that seems like quite a lot that's like, that's almost two per team in the NBA. You know, not even 30 teams made a deal <laughs> this this uh, deadline. But, you know, it's about two picks per team in the NBA. 23 teams made moves this deadline. So an average of over two picks per team that actually made a move. And that's only talking second round picks there. Uh, so, yeah, pretty wacky. But, you know, Luke Kennard, getting back to the, the Grizzlies, the thing I'm talking about, um, Luke Kennard adds a lot of shooting to the Memphis Grizzlies, which, you know, they're not a, a team that lacks shooting. But when you think about it, there's not a lot of, like, sharpshooters on their team. Like, everybody can just shoot for the most part. Like, Steven Adams is the only non-shooter, really, that plays big minutes. 
Desmond Bain is like the only guy that you would call like a knockdown shooter, you know, one of the better shooters in the NBA. So now they've added a second one of those with Luke Kennard. I think it's a pretty big add for this Memphis team, to be quite honest. But I still don't think it's enough to put them in the same on the same level as Denver quite Um, like it could. You know, I'm not I'm not out here trying to say that there's no way that the Grizzlies could end up, you know, farther along or end up winning the championship over the Nuggets. I just I'm just saying from a standpoint of which team I think is more likely to, you know, I think the Nuggets are definitely still ahead when you look at it from that perspective. But yeah, and I think the only other team in the West that's worth mentioning, well, I guess maybe there's two, but mainly um, the Pelicans, I think, are another team worth mentioning in, in terms of this. I mean, this podcast is basically turned into the Western Conference landscape post-deadline. Um, so that's what we're going to continue to look at. And when I guess when I say landscape, I just mean the contenders. And so the New Orleans Pelicans would be the next team I would probably bring up for that. I wasn't going into this with that plan of, you know, doing what I what I just described with the contenders in the West thing. So if I did, though, I wouldn't have started with the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers probably wouldn't have been brought up yet or they would, you know, right after these next two teams that I'm about to say. And that is the Pelicans and the Clippers with the Pelicans. Uh, they traded away Devonte Graham and four second round picks in exchange for Josh Richardson. And, you know, I think that's an upgrade for sure. You know, it gives them a little bit of ball handling. It gives them a guy that they can start at two. That's like a natural, natural two guard for the most part. Um, Cause their, their lineup has been weird this whole season. Cause they have like uh, two guys that are like three, four tweeners. And then one guy who's like a four, maybe a five tweener in Zion. And then a natural five in Jonas Valanciunas. And then their only other guy that they have left, you know, in that starting lineup is CJ McCollum, who's a undersized two guard. So, you know, but he's forced into the point guard role because of necessity. And yeah, it's just kind of a weird mix of players to have as your best five. Uh, so adding Josh Richardson, at least, you know, he does, he's not one of your best five guys, probably. I think you're, you still have like Herb Jones or maybe even Trey Murphy to hold that title. But, you know, you can move one of those guys to the bench uh, for the starting lineups to have more of a natural fit with uh, Josh Richardson in the starting lineup. You know, that's at least one option for head coach Willie Green there in New Orleans. Uh, but he could also uh, just ignore me and um, continue to start the five that he's going with, which I don't think is a terrible idea either because Josh Richardson can just kind of come in and mix in with different lineups along the way during the game. Doesn't necessarily matter if it's the starting or closing group. But yeah, they've been sliding as well. A lot of that is to do with injury. I don't know when Zion's coming back. I don't think anybody knows when Zion is coming back. I think the latest news we heard about it is that they're going to reevaluate him in like four weeks or something. So, you know, the longer and longer this goes on, the more and more it seems like he's going to be coming back, if at all, um, right before the playoffs, which isn't super optimal <laughs> for this New Orleans group trying to make a splash in the playoffs. But yeah, and then the Clippers, just wanted to mention them too. They got rid of John Wall and Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson, and they also gave up two second-round picks and a swap with Milwaukee, which I think actually went to Houston, which I don't think I've ever... I don't know if... I mean, it's definitely happened before. I'm not going to say it hasn't, 
but I don't know if I've ever seen that or noticed that where a team has the rights to a swap between two different other teams. That's not them. You know, a pick swap is usually, you know, you make a, a deal where you include a pick swap where it's like in this season, in the 2025 draft, whoever out of the two of our teams has the higher pick in the draft, this team is going to have the rights to that. The team that, you know, gets the pick swap rights in the deal. The reason that is a thing is because after the league made it illegal or against the rules, you know, you can't trade your first round pick back to back years. Um, the reason why that is is because they don't want teams to basically commit suicide <laughs> unintentionally or not. But, you know, where you make a, a deal where you give away every single first round pick you have and then you're left with nothing completely. So they're like, you know, we'll, we'll do every other. You can only trade every other. So how teams have gotten around that, though, not really gotten around that, but somewhat gotten around that is they still have a pick that year, but it's the worst of the two picks of two teams involved in a deal. So they can trade their your rights to that pick, but as long as they get the other team's pick as well. Um, if that makes sense. I don't know if that made any of that at all, but um, sense that is. <laughs> but yeah, as I was saying though, the Rockets have the rights to a swap between Milwaukee and the Clippers. I don't remember what year it is exactly, but I think it's like 2025, 2026, something along those lines. But anyways, the thing that like this doesn't this doesn't help you guys at all when I I'm listing things off that the Clippers gave up. But that was like a half an hour ago now or whatever, because I went on a long tangent. So they gave up John Wall, Luke Kennard, Reggie Jackson, two seconds and a swap with Milwaukee, um, their rights to that swap. And so then what they got back in return for all of that was Eric Gordon, Mason Plumley, three second round picks and Bones Highland. So I think they got maybe a little bit better. Plumlee is nice to have uh, because now Zubats isn't their only traditional center on the roster. So, you know, he can get a break <laughs> in some of those series, like uh, the ones against Denver, where, you know, Zubats can't stay in the game because Jokic is just so dominant. Zubats just has to use quite a bit of fouls on him. And then there's nobody after him uh, while he's on the bench or if he gets fouled out to come in and guard Jokic. So now at least they have an option for that with Mason Plumley. Eric Gordon, I think, just adds to their three-point shooting, ball-handling wings that they have. Not super interesting, I guess. Bones Highland, very interesting. Adds a whole new dimension to their, to their roster. And a guy that's a bucket, guy that's really shifty, really talented with the ball in his hands. Um, I don't really know how big of a role he's going to be playing, if he's going to be like the starting point guard on this team or if they're planning on just using Eric Gordon for that because Eric Gordon, you know, can play really just one through three equally. Like he's not really, he's probably optimized at the two, I'd say, maybe three, but you can very easily play point guard as well if you need him to. So I think the Clippers got a little bit better, but obviously the key with them is whether or not Kawhi or Paul George is going to be suiting up and playing games. And if they are, are they going to look like their prime selves? Um, will the team, you know, be on the same page, everybody gelling and meshing well with each other. So, you know, those will be the deciding factors for them. The Lakers I already mentioned them, but they would probably be the next team in this list of descending order 
of contenders in the West. I guess I could mention Portland, uh, but not really. I mean, they got Thibel, which is good. I like that for them as a you know really good defensive wing coming in to a lineup with a bunch of shooting. So, you know, he's not going to be a big liability to the offense like he was with the Sixers. Oh, the Mavericks. I've totally forgot about the Mavericks and the Kings, for that matter. Forgot about both those teams. Um, this is a mess, man. Yeah, the reason why I'm all over the place is because my internet is out, and usually when I'm doing something like this, I have like the standings up in front of me, but I just have a screen that says no internet because there was like a storm earlier, and I guess my uh, Wi-Fi network is deciding to not work. So, um, but yeah, I just got out my phone using data to look at the standings really quick, and yeah, uh, Sacramento Kings definitely should have mentioned them. Um, they're probably around the same level as both the LA teams, I feel like, but like a little bit lower. I like they're above them because regular season wise, they're, they're definitely much better performing much better this season. But in terms of a contending team for the championship, like capital C championship. Yeah. I think they're probably a little bit lower, both those LA teams, because they don't have LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard, quite frankly. Uh, but the Mavericks is a team that does have a player of that ilk, and that is Luka Doncic. And now they have Kyrie Irving as well. So, But like I said last episode, I didn't really see the Mavericks as improving all that much. I think their ceiling might be a tiny bit higher now, you know, if everything breaks right for them. But I think their floor is much lower. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say much lower, but their floor average. Like what I, what I feel like the most likely outcome is that average has gone down because of how much more likely them cratering and not you know just not having enough rotation pieces to really compete in a playoff series like I just feel like that's a lot more likely now but yeah I'd probably rank the Mavericks maybe a little bit above the Lakers and maybe the Clippers too maybe a little bit above them just a tiny bit but below the Suns the Nuggets and the Grizzlies Maybe the Pelicans too. Not you know because of the whole Zion thing, the injury. I think I'm gonna put them above. I put Dallas above New Orleans, but below Denver and Phoenix, and maybe Memphis. I think they're pretty close to Memphis though. They could be, and Golden State. I forgot to mention them. Golden State is above Memphis though. I'd say slightly. Then I guess there's the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think could be the last team that I mention here, and they are towards the bottom of the teams that I've named now. But I think they did. Like there's something to be said about the improvement they did make with trading out D'Angelo Russell in exchange for Mike Conley. Just going to be a much more steady point guard for them. Uh, you know, a guy that can kind of unlock Rudy Gobert in the pick and roll on the offensive end of the court. You know, that's going to be a big advantage uh, for this Timberwolves team that they didn't have in the first half of the season. Yeah, w- without Cat, I don't know exactly when Cat's coming back, but even with like all their guys back, I don't see them being close to the top of this list of teams that I've been talking about. So, yeah, I'd say they're towards the bottom at most, like at, at their best, might climb up there to like the middle of that pack. But yeah, I'm not too optimistic about it, I guess. But anyways, that could be it for this episode. I'll probably tackle the East sometime soon. You know, Milwaukee is is going off over there. Uh, we'll talk about this interesting Brooklyn team now after the Durant trade. Um, just a big hodgepodge of, of different players. But yeah, this has been the Hoop Theory Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Another reminder, if you are interested in helping me out, please check out my Patreon 
at patreon.com slash hoop theory. Any help I can get over there be very much appreciated, but you know, definitely don't feel obligated uh, by any means. Yeah, this was the Mark Price episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 25. Thank you for listening once again, and I will talk to you guys next episode. Mm-hmm.